Welcome in, everybody, to episode 160 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Eratora Sports Podcast. It is a great day to be in the Aaron Torres business, people. You know why? Did you read the headlines? Did you see the news? UConn, the University of Connecticut, my alma mater, it is headed back to the Big East. It is a great day to be a Husky. It is a great day to be Aaron Torres, and there is so much to get into today. So great show on tap for you today. I am going to talk about UConn. I am going to talk about why this is huge, not just for UConn, but for the entire state of Connecticut, for the Big East, for all of college basketball. We're going to get into that. Great show. Uh, I am recording here on Sunday night. Obviously, if any Carrie Blackshear news breaks as the show goes on, I will, of course, talk about it. I don't expect there to be news during my show. If there is, I'll talk about it. If it happens after the show, I'll re-record this. You'll probably never hear it, but... We'll keep you updated and abreast on Kerry Blackshear. He is coming down to his final decision. I don't believe he's going to take any more visits. I do think it's ultimately going to come down to Kentucky, Tennessee. I know that some people are saying those are the only two finalists. I think maybe one or two other schools could be in the mix. I do think it'll be one of those two schools. And then after that, Nick Coffey, my buddy, I have him on from time to time here and there. He will join me to talk NBA Draft. I did a big NBA Draft recap. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to last Thursday's show. I recorded right after the draft. Going to get some reaction from Nick Coffee. So, unbelievable show today. Great show today. By the way, some great guests coming up. So make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I will tell you who the guests are in advance. Thursday's show. You know who's joining me? My buddy, Kevin Keats. NC State head coach. He is a guy, if you guys listen to this show, if you follow me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, I love NC State. I actually believe that Kevin Keats is doing something really special there. It's a tough place to win with North Carolina and Duke right in state. Kevin Keats has been a stud so far. NCAA tournament two years ago, he got robbed last year. The program got robbed, but we talked about him at NC State, how he's building that program, the success of the first two years of missing the NCAA tournament. So great conversation with him coming up. Next Monday, going into the holiday week, I will have Oliver Luck. You know who Oliver Luck is? One, he's Andrew Luck's dad, but two, he's actually the commissioner of the new XFL. So the XFL is about to launch next season. Uh, for those kind of old school listeners, you'll remember the original XFL in 2001. Oliver Luck is the new commissioner. They actually had a workout here in LA this weekend. I was there. I sat down with him. I got some one-on-one time with him. You are going to know everything there is to know about the new XFL. So two great guests coming up. Nick Coffey joining me today. As for right now, this is what I need you to do. You know I'm going to ask, right? Make sure... You're subscribed to the Air Torres Sports Podcast. Why wouldn't you be at this point? Just subscribe. I'm talking hoops 365 days a year. I talk a little football, maybe some NBA. We'll see where the day goes. But we're talking all UConn today. We're talking NBA draft later with Nick Coffey. Make sure you're subscribed. You can do that on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict if you have an Android, Podbean, TuneIn Radio. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can basically get this show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. If you want to leave a comment, even better, but those ratings really do help us move up the iTunes charts, so make sure to subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. Also, why haven't you guys followed me on Instagram? 
Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. That is where you'll get a preview of upcoming shows. You'll get clips from the show. You'll get uh, me instant reaction. A lot of times if something big happens like the UConn story on Saturday, I will go on Instagram, shoot some quick video as reaction. So make sure you're subscribed. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And then finally, if you have questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so I'm going to talk a little UConn now. As I've said a few times, if Kerry Blackshear news breaks during this show, I will talk about it. If not, we will hopefully talk about it on our next show, assuming that he commits before then. Kevin Keats joining me later in the week. But the big story from this weekend, I don't know if you heard. I woke up Saturday. What's going on? There's a report out of Connecticut. UConn is rejoining the Big East. I'm not going to lie. Got a little excited. Got a little tingly. Body started feeling pretty good. Brain's percolating. I'm excited. But I was trying to stay calm. I was trying to, you know, just just take a deep breath. It's one report. It doesn't mean anything. It could be some. And then all of a sudden, the heavy hitters. Brett McMurphy from Stadium. Jeff Goodman from Stadium. Dana O'Neill. They all come in and say, yeah, this thing is happening. It might not be official today on a Saturday in the middle of June, but it will be official before the end of the week. A press conference has been called UConn. The Huskies. Kemba, Jim Calhoun, Shabazz Napier, they're going back to the Big East. All right, so I want to give you guys some context as to a little bit about this move, a little bit about the history of kind of UConn basketball, why UConn is in the predicament that it's in, why this is something that the school had to do, what it means for UConn basketball, and also what it means for UConn football, because I think a lot of people don't really understand that football was actually the reason that UConn got into this situation in the first place. All right, so let's backtrack. First of all, there's this notion that UConn left the Big East. That's actually not true. So that's factually incorrect. So here's what happened. If you remember about five, six, seven years ago, the realignment craze started happening and all the schools from the Big East started uh, getting picked off, right? So Syracuse and Pitt and Louisville go to the ACC. Rutgers goes to the Big Ten. And all of a sudden, you get left with kind of a weird conglomerate combination of schools. Some of them only play basketball, like Villanova, St. John's, Georgetown, and some of them like UConn, Cincinnati, South Florida, they play basketball and football. And so what happened was the Big East in about 2012-ish or so decided, you know what, we're getting out of the football game. We're not going to have a big-time conference in football, so... We're not going to try and mend this thing together. We're just we're going back to our roots, right? Big East basketball, for people who are old enough to remember, it was the you-know-what back in the day, right? In the 80s, it was Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen. In the 90s, it was Allen Iverson. It was Ray Allen at UConn when I grew up. And Big East basketball was the you-know-what. And so when all this realignment happened, when Louisville left and Syracuse left and Pittsburgh left, The conference just decided, you know, we're out of the football game. Anyone that has football, we don't really want them because we're focused on basketball. Basketball is going to be the center, the focus of what we do. So the teams that stayed were the Villanovas, the Seton Halls, the St. John's, the Georgetowns that didn't have basketball. They add a few more programs from the outside, Creighton, Xavier, schools like that, Butler, who who don't have football. And so you look at a situation like UConn, UConn didn't really leave the Big East as much as what ended up happening was is that they kind of got kicked out 
because they were focused on building this kind of program that had football as a component, had basketball as a component. And by the way, everyone crushes UConn football. UConn football wasn't that bad. In the late 2000s, they went to four straight bowl games, including the Fiesta Bowl. And I know people make fun of UConn. Oh, the Fiesta Bowl, they got their butt kicked. Like, whatever. They paid the Fiesta Bowl. They had eight or nine wins. They weren't great, but they weren't terrible. But when the Big East broke up, what ended up happening was there was two, three, four schools left. They basically combined with what was the old Conference USA, so the Houstons, the, South, uh, the Central Floridas, the Memphises, schools like that, and they combined this conference called the AAC. And so UConn joins that conference, and it really kind of hurts the national brand. And I'm going to get into why it hurt the brand so much going forward. But UConn goes to the AAC. The Big East kind of stays as they are, basketball only. Okay, so how did we get to yesterday, to Saturday, to the moment when UConn rejoined the Big East? So what ended up happening was very simple, is that little over, probably about a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, you started to kind of hear rumors, right? So for people who don't know, the Big Ten in basketball went to 20 conference games this past year. The ACC is going to go to 20 conference games next year because the reason is simple. More conference games is more inventory for the, conf- for the uh, TV networks who pay for the games and to the conferences, right? And so the ACC is launching an ACC network. So if you have 20 conference games... That's two more games for each team that you can put on the new ACC network, in addition to ESPN and ESPN2. In the case of the Big Ten, two more games to go to 20 games is more inventory for Fox and Fox Sports 1 and ESPN, who still has some Big Ten um, TV rights and all that stuff, right? And so the Big East, they want to get to 20 conference games. Right now, they currently have 10 teams. Everybody plays a true round robin. So you play 18 conference games. You play the nine other teams in your conference twice. You get to 18 games. The Big East wanted to add one more team so that they could get to 11 teams, which means that you would play the other 10 teams twice for 20 conference games. And so about a year, year and a half ago, this story starts to kind of percolate that that the Big East wants to add a team. And the question just kind of becomes, who is it? And from the beginning... UConn was always the logical choice because UConn geographically doesn't really make sense in this conference that they're in right now. It just, it doesn't fit. UConn doesn't really make sense in a conference that has Houston and SMU, which is in Dallas, uh, Wichita State, Cincinnati, South Florida, Central Florida, East Carolina. I mean, it's brutal. And it makes no sense. And it was tough on the athletic department. And so you started to hear these rumors about a year ago, 18 months ago, the Big East is looking for another team, and it feels like UConn is the logical choice. The problem with UConn was they weren't willing to give up the football aspect of it. Again, the Big East hasn't changed. There is no Big East football. You can't tune tune in on Saturday to college game. They're not talking about Big East football because it doesn't exist. And so UConn had to make a really tough decision because the Big East wanted to add another team, and if UConn wasn't ready to kind of move off of football then the Big East was going to go in another direction. I had heard that maybe they were interested in VCU, maybe interested in St. Louis, kind of these schools that fit the profile of what the Big East is right now, which is kind of small Catholic schools, no football, etc. And so UConn was put in kind of a really difficult position, right? They could sit there, they've been five years removed from the original Big East, and there's no doubt that the program has suffered quite a bit. And so 
there's no doubt the program suffered. We're going to get into that in a minute. And what the, pro- what the school had to decide was, do we sit around and do we wait forever hoping that the Big Ten or the ACC wants to expand again and that they'll take us for all our sports, football and basketball? And how long can we wait? Because we're getting killed financially in this deal because of the fact that um, the TV contract is bad, one. Second of all, and, and by the way, TV money runs college sports. So like the Big Ten, for example, those schools are getting 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year in TV revenue from FS1, from the Big Ten, from Fox, from ESPN. And it's just a completely different playing field than a, a school like UConn in the AAC. The AAC actually did just sign a new TV contract. It worked out pretty well, but it wasn't enough financially, especially when you factor in that, oh, by the way, you add in all the travel, you add in all the costs of running this big-time college athletic program where geographically it doesn't really fit. And so it made it just it never really fit. It never really made sense from UConn. You could argue that when the conference realignment thing happened and the Pac-12 added Utah and Colorado and the Big 12 added West Virginia and TCU and the ACC added the teams I mentioned, Syracuse and Pitt and Louisville, Big Ten added Rutgers and Maryland, that when all this conference realignment stuff happened, there wasn't a bigger loser in college athletics than the University of Connecticut. Unquestionably the best women's basketball program in the country. Unquestionably one of the two or three best men's basketball programs over the last 20 years, four national championships since 1999. No other program has done that. And so, but they were stuck in this situation with the AAC and it just wasn't working for them. And they had a decision to make. And so finally, uh, you know, I don't know what the straw was that broke the camel's back. I assume that the Big East was ready to move on to another team if UConn couldn't figure it out. And here we are. And here we are. UConn is about to rejoin the Big East. And again, to be clear, there are a couple reasons why they had to do this. One, you look at the AAC. And just geographically, it just didn't make sense, right? Like conferences, we all get that part of it is based on geography and, and TV money. And in the last round of realignment, you'll remember that it was all about capturing TV sets, right? So like the Big Ten would go after Rutgers because they could claim that if we can get Rutgers, we get all of the quote-unquote TV sets, TV um, you know, TV subscribers in that market. So it, no one in, the big, in New York City has a reason to subscribe to the Big Ten Network, but when Rutgers comes in, we get, all those TV now, we get all those TV subscribers. Now, is that actually how it happened? Not really, but you kind of get the point, right? Maryland. If the Big Ten gets Maryland and five of their basketball games and three of their football games are on the Big Ten Network and that's the only place you can watch them, then it makes Maryland a place that you can expand the Big Ten Network. And so that was where all of this came from. But the teams that got left out, like UConn, they got put in a weird situation where geographically, it's just all over the place. And so part of it was they had to get out of this conference because it costs so much money just to, 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 to fly your teams everywhere. Because you got to remember, it's not just football and basketball. You got tennis teams, you got baseball teams, you got golf teams. And they're all playing in this conference where the closest drive is Temple, which is like six hours away by car. Basically, everybody else is a flight, and some of them are really long flights. Like Central Florida in Orlando 
is a four-hour flight. South Florida and Tampa is a four-hour flight. Houston and SMU in Texas, that's like a five- or a six-hour flight. Now, imagine playing a conference team in your conference that's a six-hour flight. That's insane. And imagine having to do that for every single sport. You gotta, it's not just about men's basketball. You got to send tennis over there. You got to send golf over there. And it just became too much financially. But what it also did was it hurt the fan base. Because the fan base, for years, you're used to buying a season ticket package and you get Syracuse and St. John's and Georgetown and Seton Hall and all those teams that you know. And now you got to, even though the big, uh, the AAC, the, 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 the basketball conference wasn't bad, but it's still hard to get excited about um, Houston. If you've never played Houston in your, you know, you're a UConn fan, you're 40 years old. All you've been doing is going to Big East games. Even if Houston is good, even if Wichita State is good, even if Cincinnati is good, it's hard to get excited about those teams when you're used to playing Syracuse and St. John's and you know their fans and you know your you know your buddies a St. John's alum and you guys go to the games together. And it's like now that's just gone. And so attendance was plummeting. And I'm telling you, you know, I've gone back to Connecticut a few times over the last couple of years and going to Yukon games is kind of depressing. It's kind of sad. Now, to Yukon fans' credit, I actually give Yukon fans a lot of credit because I think they've done a good job of filling up the arena for the big games, for the Cincinnati's, for the Houston's, for the whatever's. But you got to remember, it's not just those teams. It's also like East Carolina and Tulsa and Tulane. And it's like really hard to get excited about those games. And so attendance was suffering. The fan base, there was it was sort of apathetic, although I think actually the fan base has done pretty well in filling the building. But you got to imagine that if Dan Hurley specifically, and we're talking about men's basketball now, if Dan Hurley can have success and build a team that's competitive in a, a, a regular uh, NCAA tournament caliber team like it was under Jim Calhoun, let alone a national championship contender, you know, fans are more likely to come see Villanova and Georgetown and Seton Hall than they would be Houston and Wichita and Tulane, you know? And so it's not even a knock on the AAC, but it's just hard to get the fans excited about teams that they've never seen play before and never had an interest in watching play before. And the final thing is, and this is something that drove me crazy, it hurt recruiting. People say, well, you know, Memphis has the number one class in the country. It didn't hurt them. It's like, yeah, Memphis has a former NBA player that went to the school, that coached AAU basketball, that built an entire recruiting class around a player that he coached in high school. Don't compare Memphis. Memphis is the outlier, right? Like, I, I can't even think of a good example, but you can't use the exception to prove the rule, and Memphis is the exception. And so recruiting has really suffered. It's really suffered because you got to look at it from two perspectives. From the player's perspective, yes, you want to go to the place that best prepares you for the NBA, but you also want to go to the place, part of preparing, preparing you for the NBA is playing in big games on big stages. And to UConn's credit, they've done well scheduling out of conference. They've played Villanova. They've played Syracuse. They played Arizona the last two years. They're playing Florida this year. But it's just not the same. And it's tough to sell kids on, like I said, playing Tulsa and playing SMU and playing Hugh, like it's just tough. If you grew up in Boston, you grew up in New York, you want to play in the Garden. You want to play in Jersey. You want to play in Philly. You don't want to play in Houston. You don't want to play in Dallas. And so it drives me crazy, and I'm going to get to it in a minute, is all these fans like, oh, you know, it's not, it, it wasn't the conference that fell, led to UConn's downfall. Like, no, it wasn't the only part, but it was a big part. Come on, like, don't, let's not be ridiculous here. 
And so it hurt recruiting. And oh, by the way, parents can't come to watch their kid. If you're from the New York City area or New York area or Boston area, it's a lot easier to get to Madison Square Garden two times a year to watch your son play against St. John's and against uh, Seton Hall in Newark and against Villanova and Philly than it is to get to Houston and Wichita. Like, it just is. So you add that in, you add the recruiting stuff in, and again, kids just didn't want to come to UConn. I'll tell you a great story. I put this out on Twitter. People loved it. I had an AAU coach. I was talking to an AAU coach, and he knew I was a UConn fan. This was two, three, four years ago. I'll give you a big gap because I don't want you to know who the player was. But he had a McDonald's All-American in his AAU program. And he didn't choose UConn, but UConn was in the mix. And the AAU coach said, man, like, we wanted him to go to UConn. But it's just hard to sell a kid on Tulsa. It's hard to sell a kid on playing at Tulsa and Tulane in East Carolina. He said to me like four times, he's like, and, and by the way, guys, if you have kids in the car, just mute it for the next 30 seconds. But some, my, my buddy says to me, he goes, he goes, come on, man. He says, come on. I can't. Kids are smart. They're not dumb. I can't. Who the f- and this was his exact quote. Who the fuck wants to play in Tulsa? Who the fuck wants to play in Tulsa? I can't sell a kid on playing in Tulsa when he can stay in the Big East and play in Madison Square Garden and play in D.C. and play in Philly. And so eventually this was the only choice UConn had. Attendance was down. Um, Enthusiasm, excitement for the program was down. Recruiting was down. And I did mention this a minute ago. There's this narrative out there that, oh, you you can't blame the conference. The conference had multiple bids. Cincinnati. Like, it hasn't hurt Cincinnati. It's like, yeah, well, first of all, what the hell has Cincinnati accomplished? They've won a lot of regular season games. They haven't won anything when it counts. So, so don't give me Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And listen, I like Mick Cronin. I just spent time with him this week in L.A. Not this week, about two, three weeks ago in L.A. Good guy. I think he's going to work in L.A. But don't tell me Cincinnati. Like, okay, okay they won a bunch of games. Who cares? They, didn't, they don't win when it matters. And don't tell me about Memphis. Well, it hasn't hurt Memphis's recruiting. Okay, they've had one really good recruiting class, which was centered around Penny Hardaway, a kid that played for him in high school. What was Memphis recruiting like before Penny Hardaway got there? What was Memphis recruiting like before James Wiseman uh, committed to Memphis? Because it wasn't that, I, I mean, maybe I'm missing the, 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 the conveyor belt of McDonald's All-Americans that went to Memphis before Penny Hardaway got there. Because I don't really remember that part. Maybe I do. Maybe you guys can send me all the list of McDonald's All-Americans after John Calipari left and before Penny Hardaway got there, because I can't remember too many of them. And so at a certain point, this was the only choice that UConn had to make. Don't believe the narrative that the conference had nothing to do with it. It's baloney, okay? Now, you can say there are other factors. Certainly, Kevin Ollie didn't help. Our boy, Kevin Ollie. For the longtime listeners of the show, Nick Coffey and I played a game called Kevin Ollie Trivia one time, where we just went through all the crazy facts on Kevin Ollie. But like Kevin Ollie left the program in a pretty bad place. But the conference didn't help, okay? So the conference is the biggest reason why UConn has struggled. They are going back to the Big East, and this is huge. Now, there is one other element that does need to be discussed about this, and that's the UConn football program. And again, UConn football has been dragged through the mud throughout all this. Look, first of all, there's not a great history of a lot of college football success in the Northeast. So I love how people are treating UConn as though it's Michigan or Ohio State or... Florida or Florida State, like they're supposed to be winning 11 games and competing for national championships. They were actually pretty good not that long ago. I was there my sophomore year. They made the school's first ever bowl game. This was, they committed to go to Division I, now FBS in 2000, 
I think 1999, 2004, their first bowl game. Then they went to four straight bowl games after that. And so to me, like this idea that UConn football was terrible is preposterous. But I also think that, like I said, you kind of had to sacrifice the football program to save the basketball program. And I think it was the right strategic move. Some UConn fans, and by the way, some of them have reached out to me. There are some UConn fans who do disagree with me, who do say we shouldn't have sacrificed football for the sake of basketball. I'm not saying that I necessarily don't understand that argument, but here would be my argument. Here is the upside. The upside in basketball is if you get it rolling in basketball, you're going to compete for national championships. And I know the money in basketball isn't the same as the money in football, but you can win national championships in basketball. It's been done before. In football, you're not going to win anything if you're not in the FBA, in the Power Five. The AC, if you're not in the ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, and really even, let's be honest, Pac-12 doesn't win anything either. You're not going to win anything. And so at a certain point, you had to be realistic about where you are And where you are is you're on the outside looking in of the power structure. You're never going to get into the playoff. And even if you were in a Power 5 program, what's the reality that, one, you're even going to get there, but two, if you do get there, that you're going to be able to compete with the big boys. Let's say you do wait it out and you do hope and pray that four or five years down the road, the ACC sends you a lifeline and you join the ACC. What is the absolute best case scenario for for UConn basketball, for UConn football in the ACC. It's like seven and five and getting your brains beat in every year by Clemson and Florida State and probably NC State and a bunch of other teams too. And so my only point is at a certain point, you had to be realistic where you are. You have a chance to get back into a power conference in basketball in the Big East. Villanova has won multiple national championships since uh, the Big East has become a basketball-only conference. Seton Hall, Providence have made multiple tournaments. Xavier got a number one seed a few years ago. So the ceiling to get to where you want to go in basketball, it's attainable by going to the Big East, not so much if you stay in the AAC. And football, I'm sorry, I feel bad, but you got to do what you got to do. And by the way, I don't think this is the death of UConn football. They're not going to transition down to FCS. The state has invested way too much money into the football program. Brand new stadium built probably 15 years ago now, Rentschler Field in East Hartford. They're going to keep playing FBS football. They'll be an independent. I suspect that if UConn basketball gets to back to where it is and it becomes a name brand, a national brand, that somebody will take a chance on UConn football, whether it is Conference USA, whether it is the MAC, somebody will want the brand of UConn associated with them in football, even if they're not getting the basketball programs. I truly believe that. So that is all. Great day for UConn. By the way, I should say great day for the UConn Athletic Department. Great day for the state of Connecticut. I'm telling you, UConn basketball is no different than Kentucky basketball or Alabama football or Tennessee football or Louisville basketball, Louisville football. It's great for the state economy. I mean, I'm talking the bars in Hartford are insane when UConn is good. When you can get 20,000 people into downtown Hartford to watch UConn, it's good for the city of Hartford, good for the economy of the state, 
And so I give UConn credit for making this move. It was a great day for the athletic department, great day for the state of Connecticut, great day for the Big East, and most importantly, college basketball, because this now makes it more realistic that UConn can once again, eventually, they're not going to get there tomorrow, they're not going to get there next year, but that UConn can compete with the big boys. So they will play, for people who don't have a clear timeline, they will play one more year in the AAC, this conference that they're in now, and then in 2020, 2021, they will go to the Big East, according to reports. It's not official, but enough people have confirmed it. Everybody that I'm talking to says it's a done deal. UConn, back to the Big East. I am so excited. All right, so that's it for this segment of the show. Um, if you didn't listen last week, I did a lot of NBA draft stuff, but look, it's a quiet time in the sports calendar. I figured I'll have Nick Coffey on. We'll bat around some draft stuff. I'll see if he agrees with me on some of the draft stuff that I said. So a little bit of a continuation of draft coverage from last week. Later in the week, Kevin Keats, NC State head coach, will join me. Really fun conversation. I recorded it late last week. He's a great guy. He is very aware of Aaron Torres. Hate to brag. Hate to brag. He's pretty aware of Aaron Torres, though. Uh, Also, next week, Oliver Luck, commissioner of the XFL, And by the way, I should mention, hoping by the end of the summer to have Dan Hurley on the show. Dan Hurley's verbally agreed, but (laughs) as you can imagine, he's gone a little dark, a little quiet, uh, not responding to a ton of texts and tweets, and the athletic department isn't responding to very much right now with the news that came out yesterday. All right, so that is all. Uh, It is now time. I'm going to have Nick Coffey join me to talk some NBA draft. Thank you again for listening, and here is Nick Coffey. All right, and joining me on the phone now, it's been a while, Nick Coffey, you can hear him 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD in Louisville. Nick Coffey, it's been a while. How's life? Are you, are you, so are you like a baseball guy now? Louisville baseball did pretty good, right? I did, so baseball's been, first of all, I'm happy to be back. Thank you for coming. But baseball is one of those things where like I've never been a big baseball guy in any way. So like when I watch the games, I have like instant reaction and opinion, but I'm insecure. So I'm like, well, that looked like a good play. It looked <laughs> like a bad. Call, but what the hell do I know what I'm talking about? So it's been tricky. It's been a fun ride. Global season comes to an end on Friday night. But um, yeah, I did not go to Omaha, but I was able to enjoy. Well, here's the thing: they had won two games in Omaha in their previous four trips combined, and they won two this time around. So although they did come up short. They were one of the four final teams uh, that were there, and again, they won two two games in this trip, so therefore it, e- it easily makes it their best trip there. So uh, baseball, I'll be honest with you, I get a little bit more of a baseball fever than I expected, but um, it's one of those things where, again, I'm just kind of like watching and thinking like, man, I feel like I want to let out this bold opinion on what I'm seeing, but... <laughs> I don't really know what the hell I'm talking about. So it's kind of tricky, much different than, you know, what you and I spend a lot of our time talking about, which is college hoops. All right. Well, good week for Louisville. Well, here's the thing. I probably don't even know if I'm talking about college hoops either, at least I'm confident. Yeah, you just fake it till you make it. It's okay. Listen, we've all been there. Uh, by the way, we definitely did a big segment on Fox Sports Radio on Saturday night. I don't know if you saw Albert Pujols return to the car. He returned to St. Louis, and they cheered him after he hit a home run. Like, they gave him a standing ovation before the game. Then they gave him a standing ovation before the second game. And then he hit a home run, and they gave him a standing ovation. And so, anyway, I only bring this up 
because Arnie Spanier and I did like two hours on baseball completely out of the blue, and I just kind of started. Did you, did you black out midway through? Well, no, they, it was actually a great conversation because I think it's actually kind of an interesting talking point. Like, I thought it was very weird for the home team to cheer a visiting player hitting a home run, even if he was there for, for 10 years. But the reason I bring it up is because I just started throwing out stuff that wasn't true. Like, I was saying, like, you know, it'd be one thing if, you know, he was the hometown hero and he was from Missouri and blah, blah, blah. And our update guy was like, well, you know, actually he did grow up in Missouri and went to junior college there. And so I only bring it up because I was just throwing out these fucking fire opinions and all of a sudden like like 80% of them were factually incorrect. So I'm just saying I feel you. I know where you're coming from. I do want to talk about this though. Great day for Louisville. Great day to be Nick. Great, great, great week to be Nick Coffey. Great week to be Aaron Torres. I just spent a half an hour talking UConn basketball. UConn's headed back to the Big East. Uh, a small prayer for the UConn football program. Don't know what's going to become of them, but I already did the half an hour, but I, I, you know, might as well have you talk about it really quick, Nick, is I think it's a great day for UConn. I think it's obviously a great day for the Big East, great day for college basketball to get what is still a premier program, even though they've struggled, a premier program back in a premier conference. Well, Aaron, I do not want you to take this the wrong way Uh-oh. because I know you know I'm not coming from a uh, – this is not in any way an attempt to take a, a jab at you or UConn. But at times, and again, this is a compliment, but it, it, it may not sound like it. I have to remind myself what UConn's done in the last 15, 20 years. I do, because I don't know what it is, but they just don't come to mind in you know the overall hierarchy of college hoops in the last two decades, and they should. They're extremely accomplished. Jim Calhoun is the best coach that nobody brings up when it comes to college basketball in my lifetime. And obviously, in recent years, and you know this, they've just not been—they've not been what they should be. They've not been what they're used to. So, when I saw the news, my instant reaction was, "Well, it makes total sense. They're going to get back to where they are going to instantly have a little bit more relevance, being in a league that is the Big East, which is—I mean, you know, say what you want about it not being a you know Power Five. They did produce two championships in a matter of three years in Villanova. And more often than not, in recent years, it might have been either this year or the year before, they didn't have a great showing in the tournament. More often than not, they always did better than most expected in the NCAA tournament. So I think it's huge for UConn because I'll be honest with you, man, again, this is kind of where it comes to don't take this the wrong way. I think the longer they stay in the Americans, the, the more it would have been people doing what I did, that it kind of you kind of have to go back and say, oh, yeah, UConn has been a power program, a top-tier program, uh, in, in, in the last 20 years, but I think just because of it, it look, Louisville was there for one year, but in the American yeah. Conference, it just it doesn't move the needle. It doesn't do what you You just don't get the same benefit as you get from other leagues like the Big East. Well, and it's tough. And, and what I would say about UConn is I think that what is indisputable, and I say this as a UConn fan, I don't think there's any program that's had more peaks and valleys over the last, like, like it's been one of the totally. most successful. successful. They're, they're, they're by themselves in that category, you're right. Well, check this out. While you were talking, I did the math. How do you like this? Last 20 years, so since 1999, four national championships, most during that stretch, I should say, five Final Fours, eight trips to the Sweet 16 or beyond, so to the second weekend or beyond, eight times in the last 20 years, nine missed NCAA tournaments, including the last three years and four out of the last five years. There so, is nobody that has a resume like that. 
Oh, I mean, there's nobody that has a resume with four national championships, but it's incredible because even towards... That, that's my point, though. It's, it's, it's either extreme success or just kind of whatever. Yeah, and I will say, like, and obviously, look, it's been a lot different since Calhoun left, and you're right. And, you know, by the way, Jim Calhoun, friend of the Aaron Sports Podcast, he is the best coach that nobody talks about. And you said it... But why is that? And I don't want to get sidetracked. Like, no. that's the truth. It has nothing... That doesn't have to do with conference affiliation. That's just, that's just the fact of the matter. Well, and, and what people don't realize, so when UConn, when he got to UConn, UConn was the worst team in the Big East. And during the era when it was the best conference in college basketball, he basically ran train on the whole league. All right, so I'm going to read you from 1993-94 until 1999 when he won his first national championship. How about this for a six-year run? They went 29-5 and in 94, 28-5 in 95. I should mention, by the way, 29-5, and Sweet 16 in 94, 28-5, Elite 8 in 95. 30 and 2 sweet 16 and 96 97 miss make, make, uh, make the NIT 18 and 15 98 32 and 5 99 34 and 2 national championships so Calhoun and it's it's the funny thing is is like it's not just you that's asking that question like literally like they would never say it publicly but like the Calhoun family is like why does why does my father why does my husband why does my grandfather whatever why does he not get more credit for what he's done? Because it's not just that you win national championships. One, there was consistency over a 15, 20-year stretch. Two, what I think is incredible, and I've said this many times, and I've told uh, Jim Calhoun's son, Jeff, this, is I think one of uh, Jim's greatest accomplishments, he wasn't doing it with the nonstop McDonald's All-Americans. And, I, and I've said this, and you know, people push back on me a little bit. I truly believe that in Jim Calhoun's 30-whatever years at UConn, he recruited a total of three guys who were can't-miss NBA players. Charlie Villanueva, who was like top five McDonald's All-American, Rudy Gay, top five player McDonald's All-American, and Andre Drummond, maybe the number, he was actually the number one player in the country. Uh, Anthony Davis ended up being a better player out of that class, but he was like the number one rated player in that class, Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond, by the way, Jim Calhoun's only one and done, you look at the rest of the guys that Jim Calhoun had on that roster and in that era. Um, you know, Ben Gordon was good but undersized. Rip Hamilton good but undersized. Ray Allen. Ray Allen good, but he wasn't like can't miss NBA guy. And so, you know, if you want to fight over, well, Kemba Walker was McDonald's All American. Kemba Walker was a five ten combo guard. Like there was nobody that was like, oh, this guy is for sure an NBA player. Shabazz Napier. Nobody was like for sure like. And so that to me is what's incredible is he used to take players that were not supposedly the caliber of the Dukes, Carolinas, Kansases, whoever, and would routinely beat them. I mean, and, and he would. And so I don't know why he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Would you agree that you, to get your second title is when you kind of enter a different, I mean, even Kentucky fans that are listening to this right now would agree Calipari is phenomenal, but like, even he knows that, like, you, there's something about getting more than one title that kind of puts you in a different tier. Would you agree with that? I would. And you know who, who else would agree with me? I don't know if you remember this. Tom Izzo said this going into the Final Four this year. I don't know if you remember this. He literally said... Oh, he was blatantly... He was, he was brutally hard on himself, if that's what you're referring to. Exactly. He said something to the effect of, and I'm trying to Google this really quick. 
I need a second national championship to justify myself as a head coach. Be honest. Yeah, and like one, I don't like. I don't feel so like Calhoun doesn't have two. He has three. He has <laughs> that's, three. That's and by the way, and he could. And he, he could easily have more. Well, I was going to say, first of all, you can make the – first of all, there's no doubt. And listen, all these coaches, there were years where they were close and they didn't break through. The year that I was there in 2006 when they lost to George Mason, they were by far the best team in college basketball and it just didn't work out. Oh, yeah, they were scary athletic. Yeah, but um, there were other years too – like, uh, you know, and this was like the big narrative in Connecticut when I was growing up is, first of all, 1990, people don't realize, you know, Christian Leitner is so well known for the, the buzzer beater to beat Kentucky in the Elite Eight. Well, people don't know, 1990, Christian Leitner hit a buzzer beater to beat UConn to go to the Final Four. They ended up losing to UNLV that year, but it doesn't change the fact that, like, UConn was that close to a Final Four as a number one seed in 1990. 95, they make the Elite Eight. They have to play UCLA in, uh, I think it was Oakland, but it was in California. They lose to UCLA. 98, UCLA wins the national championship, by the way, I should add. 98, they play North Carolina in North Carolina. They lose in the Elite Eight. So it's not, like, like, like he has three. Um, you can basically give him four because they won in 2014, two years after he left with all his players with Kevin Ollie. Shabazz Napier was really coaching that team. But, like, yeah, no, I don't have a good answer to as to why he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And I'm always quick, like, when people are, you know, when people want to make the, you know, they just start throwing out names. I'm always quick to, to include Jim Calhoun. By the way, I want to find, I want to see if I can find this tweet that I put out because people loved it, especially UConn fans. I want I want to share this with you, Nick. How you like? Well, this? While you're looking for it, I'll, I'll throw this that I think because you know, we actually had this conversation, and I, I, here I am, you know, spinning this back to Louisville. And that's not even really my point, but there, there is a fraternity. It's an unnamed fraternity that exists of guys, you know, post 1970, and and that's not a disrespect to to John Wood. Obviously, he's he's in his own class with what he did. The guys that coached in what you would say somewhat relatively close to the modern era that have won more than one, they just they, they exist on their own. They are it's a different tier. And the coach that has done more than anybody ever wants to talk about is Jim Calhoun because he never comes to anybody's mind. He did just win one, he just win two, he won three, could have won a lot more. And as you mentioned, the one that UConn got under Kevin Allen, a lot of credit I would say goes to Jim Calhoun. But Denny Crum of Louisville, Denny never gets brought up. Now, again, his titles weren't recent. They were in 80 and 86. But still, Louisville has a claim to be team of the 80s. And Denny had a stroke recently, and um, he's doing much better now. But I remember kind of reflecting on his career, and I feel like, I don't know if it's just because it's been a while since he coached, and obviously he did not end his career getting a lot of wins. But when you go back and look at it, I think Calhoun and Crum in that group beating titles, Post seventy five, they just don't come to mind like the others do, and I and I don't really know why. So here's the stat. First of all, I don't disagree. I remember when I was a really young college basketball fan, that was kind of the tail end of the crumb era, and it was Louisville was feared. But how do you like this for a stat, Nick? In the last fifteen years, I tweeted this out on April first. This was the day after Duke lost to Michigan State. Remember when Duke lost to Michigan State in the tournament? And the whole conversation was, you know, oh yeah, oh we crushed Calipari. Why don't we ever crush Coach K? So I threw out this stat, and I love it. In the last 15 years, Jim Calhoun has the same number of Final Four appearances, which is three, 
and the same number of national championships, which is two, as Mike Shashevsky in the last 15 that's, years. That's, that's, that's insane. I don't mean to step, step I'm, I feel like I'm stepping in front of it, and I don't mean to, but that's, that, that's something that can't be overstated. Like, that, that, more people need to be aware of that. Well, and how about this? Jim Calhoun retired seven years ago. Coach K is still, you know, he's, he's rolling in those McDonald's All-Americans. In the last 15 years, and Jim Calhoun's been retired for seven of them, he has the same number of Final Fours and national championships as Mike Krzyzewski. So Rex messaged me that tweet because I mean, I need to make sure I had it correct for my show on, on tomorrow morning. Oh, okay. You're just gonna just oh, because you're gonna probably be talking UConn. Well, 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 well UConn is it's definitely topic worthy now because they're going to the Big East. And I think obviously one of the talking points is that UConn, because of their move to the American and not obviously doing well in recent years, they are a forgotten blue blood in recent years, and that that number you just throughout will, will highlight the fact that, I mean, again, don't forget, I mean, UConn literally has done a lot better than almost, I mean, who's done better than UConn in college basketball in the last 20 years? Well, if it, well, I mean, if the conversation is strictly national championships, um, the question is nobody. Now, you know, I think you that... Uh, yeah, and I was going to say, and, and by the but you, way... But you did get in the peaks and valleys, that's part of it too, but like, don't we only judge on what you do when you get to March? A hundred percent. And that's my whole thing with UConn. So we could circle back to the Big East and then we'll get into some draft stuff. But like, this is why it's so important. And it's what you said, Nick. And I hate to say this as a UConn alum, but there were times that I forgot that UConn was playing these last couple of years. And look, I know part of it was the team wasn't good. Three straight, uh, really, really, really bad seasons. Um you know, the, obviously the, the Dan Hurley transition this past year, but the team did go under 500, third straight season that they went under 500. And, you know, like, like I get it. And my whole thing is I don't blame, like, like, like I don't blame anybody for feeling like UConn was off the radar. But, you know, and the funny thing is with college basketball too, the more that I get to know this sport and cover this sport, you know, there are these programs that we do this big thing about like, oh, they have so much tradition and so much history. And then like you actually look it up and it really isn't like the history that you kind of think that it is, if that makes sense. You know, like like I'll give you an example, right? Like like Memphis basketball, like you talk to Memphis fans, they talk about their program, like the history of their program as if it is... North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, right? And then you go to their Wikipedia page, and they have three Final Fours in the entire program's history. Now, look, UConn's only got five, but I'm just saying, like, you you talk to the average Memphis fan, you would think that there was an era in college basketball where Memphis was this unstoppable juggernaut, um, and they just never really were. Like, they've had peaks and valleys like UConn. They've never consistently kind of done it. But I only bring that up because... Like with UConn, like like UConn does have the history, and I know it's still relatively recent. Everything's basically happened since 1990, but it is still pretty incredible that just in the last 20 years, like I said, eight trips to the second weekend, five Final Fours. Uh, by the way, I'm very excited to see if Dan Hurley can kind of continue this thing, keep it going. But I only bring this up because I just feel like, um, you know, I, I just I feel like to kind of wrap what we're saying. I don't think they get enough credit, but I also don't blame the casual fan because three straight losing seasons and they just played in this super obscure conference and now 
Say what you want. Villanova, they're playing every year. Georgetown, they're playing every year. It's not the old Big East. It's not Syracuse. It's not Louisville. But, excuse me, I just think it's really good for the sport, really good selfishly for UConn to get them into those marquee games against Villanova, against Georgetown, even the teams that weren't in the Big East before. Xavier. Uh, even, even Marquette, I think, is Marquette. useful. I mean, I mean, you could throw, I mean, you know, Butler is not a traditional Big East team, but, I mean, that is, I mean, Providence. I mean, throw them in there, too. You know, yeah. I don't know if they have the same tradition as the other traditional Big East, but they're, you know, when I think of Providence, I think Big East. So yeah. it's, a, it's a natural fit, and it's a rare thing in college athletics where you see a university – Strictly make a move for the program that is is their livelihood. You know, mm-hmm. UConn football. You know, who knows what's going to happen with them? But obviously, not, and it's not just basketball. Not that I have a lot of um, knowledge on the other sports in the Big East Conference, but it just sounds like all in all, just the initial reaction I've seen over the last 24 hours that basketball, of course, is is is, is back to being where they belong in a natural fit. But other sports are going to benefit from it too. The American. It's actually not a terrible league mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. I think they've done better than what I anticipated whenever it was launched. And we'll spend that one year there. In fact, they've done better in football than anybody would have expected. Um, some of the basketball programs have done better than maybe some expected. But it's not a natural fit for anybody. You're not in that league because you want to be. And that's, that's just the reality of it. You didn't go up there because you either were a, at one point, power five-ish, six-ish league that, you know, you know, you end up getting gutted, or you're a, a former Conference USA or a former Missouri Valley. So it, it's done better than most expected, but again, it's not a league anybody aspires to be in. No, 100%. And, and that that's really honestly like my big thing is it's no disrespect to the AAC, but it doesn't fit geographically. And it's just hard to get fans fired up for teams that they've never played. Like, even if Houston is good. Exactly. Yeah, like, like I mean, you get it. Isn't Tulane in the league now? Tulane is in the league. Tulsa is in the I mean, league. That, East Carolina yeah, that, is in the league. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't, I, it's just really hard to get fans fired up. It's hard to get recruits fired I'll tell up. tell you what, man. We were making our football uh, travel plans this year. Uh, well, last week we were making our travel plans for football season. And I, I swear to you, uh, this is just it's perfect timing to bring this up given what we're talking about with UConn. But our, you know, Louisville's on my, at Miami this year. Um, they are at Clemson this year. They have Florida State at home. Uh, I think they go to NC State. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, imagine if I was making trips to East Carolina and. Tulane's going to be a bad trip, it's, you know, North in Louisiana, but no, it's it's it, it's a it, that that's the kind of league that just it again it's it there's no the ceiling there's no like the ceiling is is I think they already met that like it's just never and, and what you said about especially a place like UConn who has tradition with teams and is a established program like no matter what happens they're not going to get fired up and play Frank Hayes in Tulsa. <laughs> no, it is not natural. Um, and it's just good for the athletic department. And so, all right, let's move on. Uh, NBA draft was Thursday. I did a, a big kind of recap show on Thursday night. I guess I would tell you my big takeaway was, and you can disagree with me if you want. I actually thought it was a great night for college basketball. And, you know, something that 
I bang the drum of every episode, and so I apologize to fans that are tired of me hearing this, is I just feel like the media is so critical of college basketball, what it's about, the its role in developing players, its role, like, like the value that some guys get from going to college. And of course, we can have the conversation, RJ Barrett probably didn't need college basketball this year. Zion Williamson didn't need college basketball, although it helped him. But I bring that up because you look at that that NBA draft the other night, and sure, there were developmental guys that got drafted early. Jackson Hayes is very much a developmental guy whose best games weren't going to be played in college basketball. Uh, Darius Garland only played four or five games in college. But you look at the guys, a lot of guys that went early. It was DeAndre Hunter, four years in college basketball. Jared Culver, two years in college basketball. Cam Johnson, 23-year-old, fifth-year senior, goes in the lottery. P.J. Washington came back this year. And on the flip side, the guys that kind of spent the whole year kind of trying to live off their high school hype, Romeo Lankford, he fell. I know Indiana fans are mad at me because I'm saying that he fell to 15, but he did fall to 15. He was a projected top five pick coming into the season. Nasir Little falls to 25. Keldon Johnson, who I've said since the day he declared – I don't know what he does at the NBA level. Yelling at the roof after a big dunk and pounding your chest is not an NBA skill. Uh, And bowl, bowl. And so I just thought it was a good night for college basketball. You can disagree, but that was kind of my biggest takeaway out of everything else. No, I don't don't think you're wrong. I think it was a – if you really even wanted to, you could even stretch that to Zion. Zion should not have been the number one pick in the draft because he came out of high school. 100%. But college platform to put him there. I mean – John Morant, are you kidding me? I mean, a guy who literally was unheard of. Um, even I think you could say Kobe White, clearly a highly recruited player who went to Carolina. Great but, point. You know, he, he utilized college basketball to get to where he was, and he played lights out towards the end of the year. And, you know, he's under, he's not sure. He, honestly, he's a guy that I think high school wise had all the accolades, all the hype, but who knew what he was going to do NBA wise because of his size. And well, I think he used college basketball to show that, hey, I could be a next level guy. So you're spot on. It was actually a pretty predictable draft. We got to, I mean, honestly, the biggest surprise early was Cam Johnson being a lottery pick, which nobody saw that coming. And, I mean, you may never see a 23-year-old taken in the lottery ever again. I mean, in most NBA eyes, he's ancient. But, you know, I kind of like the pick and wait because I do think he actually fits what the NBA is doing now. My initial takeaway was that it was clearly a shooter's draft. There, I mean, if you can play defense and not be a liability on defense and you can knock down shots, you have unlimited value in the NBA teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think because the there was so much buzz during the lottery phase, meaning the, you know, the ping-pong balls were flying, that we weren't watching to see who gets what pick and where they go. We were just watching to see who the hell gets Zion Williamson. And then we knew pretty clearly it was going to be Ja at number two. And then there was a little bit of maybe some second-guessing at the end about the Knicks because they worked out both um, Darius Garland and Kobe White beforehand, but they made it clear, hey, we're taking R.J. Barrett. So that led to be a little bit of like it wasn't I me. Mean, we kind of knew what we were going to get. I didn't necessarily expect to see DeAndre Hunter go number four just because I don't feel like there was as much buzz. But, look, I'm a draft nerd. I'm a, I get into it. I watch it from start to finish. I, I, I love the draft. and And – there's no doubt about it. It was, it was awesome this year. But one thing that stood out to me, and it's not even like a, this isn't new. This isn't some new revelation. It's not some, uh, some you know, something I just figured out. It, it's something that I knew was going to happen. But when you see all the names of the guys that decided to 
leave college and say, you know what, I could come back to school and be walking into preseason All-American honors, preseason first-team All-Conference honors. I could do that or I could risk it and take the risk of knowing I might not get drafted. There are some guys like Kyle Guy. What the hell else could he do? Sure. I get it. Um, and then there are some guys that probably had bad advice that didn't even think in their minds there was a chance they weren't going to get drafted. So, But there are also the other guys that just know, you know what? I don't care. I'll rough that out in the G League. I'll rough that out in Europe. And maybe they're smarter than guys 15 years ago. Here's what I know. 15, 20 years ago, you didn't go to the NBA if you did not know for sure if you were going to be drafted. Sure. Mostly in the first round. So 100%. college basketball is not attractive to guys like it used to be. Maybe these guys once again realized, hey, you know what? I've only got a small window of time where I can make a lot of money playing this game. And I don't mean NBA, I mean Europe, G League, whatever it is. So they say, why not go ahead and start my clock early? Because Aaron, you and I, if we keep doing what we're doing at this level, we can do it till we're 80. You're playing basketball, you can't. So maybe they're just realizing, hey, I need to go ahead and cash in. But I just feel like that's that, that's that's a instant instant reaction for me for the last few years is that wow, wow. I mean, these guys, yeah, you're right. They might have they might not have, they might not have ever had really high draft you know ceilings. But they could have walked back to college basketball and been superstars in primetime well, leagues, and they could have been big fixtures in the sport for a season. Yeah, I and think, again, you're not getting a paycheck to do that, but I, I think there's value there. I think that's a one-time thing that I would be able to turn down. Yeah, it, it's so tough because, you know, first of all, I agree with the concept. And one thing that I've said, and probably on episodes that you've been on where we've talked it out together – I think this notion that, like, you have to start your clock, like, you have to start your NBA clock, like, I don't think it's true if you're not ready. And we have talked about it, because I remember you brought up Nick Stauskas, randomly enough. I remember you mentioning Nick Stauskas as a guy, got to the NBA, I believe the stat was, we looked it up, like, four teams in four years, and, you know, he can't find a role, and now it's starting to get to crunch time of, like, am I going to make it in this league or not? So, I do, I, I generally agree with that. Where I would also disagree is I, I thought this was like a really big narrative of like, oh my God, 87, I think the final number was 87 underclassmen stayed in the draft, which seems insane when you consider that there's only 60 draft spots. You have a bunch of seniors who are going to get a shot like a Cam Johnson we just mentioned a minute ago. You're going to have international players. And so the actual number of spots is like 50 to be drafted. But I would push back because I think that if you actually look at the guys, a lot of the guys who went undrafted, a lot of them, it's kind of explainable, right? Like, I'm looking at it right now. Um, Tyus Battle at Syracuse. When, declared last year, thought about leaving, decides to come back. Everyone kind of knew he was done, right? Like, like he, he was going to, this was his last year. He was only technically a junior. He could have come back. But, like, he's done. It was, he's just ready for him to move on. Marquise Bolden, like, you can laugh all you want, but, like, that dude's done three years in college basketball, and there's probably nothing he can do to help his draft stock. Dietrich Lawson from Kansas. I mean, he's 18 and falls in that. Like, so, those guys, yeah, you're right. Those guys, it's like, okay, like, look at Shamari Pons at St. John's. He could have been a star. You know, he's going through coaching change. That's what I was going to say. I don't know what his feeling would have been, but, like, I don't know. Like, you're right. Every guy's different, though. I mean, that's, that, is, that is important to mention that all situations are different. Yeah, I, I do think, though, I will say there is this notion that, like, 
if you do decide, like, like I, I think that the guys that don't, that decide to come back, like, it does turn into a thing of, like, if I made the decision to come back this year, this is it. Like, I'm not even considering the possibility of coming back a second time. Because I do think there were guys like that. Like, um, Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. No, I was going to say, like... That, like and, that, and that was Ty's battle, for sure. Tyus Battle. I'm looking at Chris Wilkes from UCLA, who declared last year, could have improved his draft stock, didn't. Uh, Lindell Wigginson from Iowa State was a guy that, like, I think a lot of people thought would have been drafted last year. He was basically hurt this whole year. Um, but I, I do think Are you that surprised Nas Reed didn't get drafted. My, my boys, the bad boys of college basketball, LSU. Uh, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, I mean, six ten can handle the ball. Um, I don't think he's in great shape, but yeah, I was a little surprised that he didn't get drafted. He was one though, like like he's one like he. I, like, here's the thing, Nas Reed could have literally followed, and I'm. I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, and I know you will if you if you disagree. He could have literally followed the exact P.J. Washington model. He could have. He could have. He could have. My counter to that would he, be because I think he has a ton of talent. Well, if we're talking specifically about him, I do wonder if. Like he did his year at LSU, um, I don't think, and I, you know, I, I kind of get a kick out of making the bad boys of college basketball joke about LSU. I don't think they're out of the woodwork on NCAA like investigations, especially now. Apparently, there's uh, 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 somebody's on the record. Somebody was in court. He got caught for like, did you see the story? Like somebody got caught for like money laundering or something. And in the proceedings, they found out that he was paying an LSU football player. So the point is, like, the NCAA is going to get pretty comfortable in Baton Rouge. And, like, I, I don't really blame Nas Reed because I think there was good reason to think that he would have been drafted. Now, it was different for some of those other LSU guys, like Javante Smart, that it was very clear, like, yeah, he's just not going to get drafted. So, like, they're really, like, you could start your clock, but you're probably going to spend it overseas. Um, but to, like, come full circle on these guys, like, I look at them like Zach Norvell fourth year junior uh this year at Gonzaga or he, I think third year junior whatever third year guy at Gonzaga Diedrich Lawson played four years of college basketball at Kansas um Nick Ward played three years of college basketball at Kansas the guy's six foot eight he's not growing he's not going to be six foot eleven uh and uh, with the ability to hit three pointers Jared Harper he's five foot nine like he's not gonna <laughs> unless he thinks he's gonna uh you know hit a growth spurt when he's 21 years old, like, he's not going to get, like, there's nothing for him left to do in college basketball after yeah, all. but with Jared Harper, that, that's, Jared Harper to me is a perfect example because I, given what he should know about his game and who he is and what it's feeling in, I think there'd be value for him branding for experience. And I don't mean experience as a player like he's getting better. I just mean, imagine being able to walk back to college basketball as a a guy that is, you know, preseason All-American. He would have been. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. Like, it's not as if they are living a life of manual labor. They are literally living a life yep. of luxury as high-level college athletes. Not to mention they do get a stipend now. I just, for him to choose to maybe rough it out in, in you know, in Italy or something. Again, maybe he has, maybe he'd have a good situation there. And again, you can make him money that. So a lot of us would be life changing money. I don't know. Just as a college basketball super fan, I'm I'm clearly naive here. I just feel like that's a once in a lifetime experience that I just wouldn't be able to walk away from. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? And and this is something like the the dude who runs Draft Express. I think he now is technically ESPN, but Jonathan Gavoni, like he brought up this point on Twitter, is you know 
if the NCAA eventually goes to a situation where you can profit off your likeness, like does that keep a Jared Harper in college where maybe I, I think it absolutely does. Yeah, no, and I was gonna say, and honestly, I don't know what the market is for Jared Harper in Auburn. Like, like my question is, does anyone in Auburn care enough to pay a basketball player to promote whatever it is, their car dealership or their uh, pizza place or whatever? I don't know, but I like I do think that that'll be kind of an interesting thing going forward. Is is that possible that maybe Jared Harper makes an extra thirty, forty, fifty thousand a year? And I don't. First of all, I I, I kind of I find it kind of hard to believe that like that's the kind of money that a kid would be making in college if he's not like a Zion or like a true superstar. But you know maybe if he makes fifteen, twenty, twenty five thousand extra, then maybe it encourages him to come back. I don't know. I get like the thing is I get both sides, and I do think that it's a, a crock of you know what this idea that. Um, this idea that uh, this idea, oh man, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? I, oh, I was going to say that you have to get to the NBA and start your clock. And it's like, no, I don't like. Like, do you think Bol Bol is happy that his clock started? Like, now look, he was never going to come back to college, but like, yeah, his clock started, and it's going to start in the G League, and in two years he could be out of the NBA completely. And so. I agree with that notion. I also think that there are times where kids are just like, whatever, it's just time to move on. Uh, I'll be curious. Anything else kind of jump out to you? I don't know if there was a pick or a team or anybody. I'll be honest, by the way, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, With all those trades and with the way that they weren't announcing the trades, like as they were happening in real, or they weren't confusing as shit. I will. That's what I was just going to say. I literally came on this show, Nick. I'm a little embarrassed to admit it. Like, I, I, I said, I think it was the 76ers. I was like, oh, they're the big winners from uh, from Thursday night. And literally of, like, the four guys they drafted that I mentioned, three of them got traded or were part of trades. So uh, now that we have a little bit of – well, first of all, what do you think of the, the whole, like, not announcing trades thing? Because I got to be real. So am I crazy? Because I remember a day – like, they used to announce trades on the draft. I know they did because I remember Vince, oh, yeah. Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson were drafted back-to-back, and I remember them going on stage and trading hats on air. So I don't know if you have any idea why this happened. I know it's something to do with the league clock, but I'll tell you this. I was confused as hell. I started recording this podcast in the middle of the second round, and to try to figure out not only who's drafted but where they're ending up was a complete disaster for the back end of this show on Thursday. Well, this is a league that literally is lapping the other professional leagues in this country with branding, marketability, and they—I mean—they fudged, if you will, the whole. I mean, they could easily like. Actually, you can go back and check the tape. I had a long form on, and I'm not even saying that it was great. But I had a long form Wednesday comment about how. Why the hell do I have to see Donovan Mitchell walk across the stage wearing a Denver Nuggets hat when I know damn well he's not going to Denver? Why does he have to take pictures of that other silver wearing that hat? Why, why, we know ahead of time this is happening, but because it can't be official, they have to wear hats of teams they don't wear. And then this morning I'm on drive-in at 5 o'clock Eastern a.m., Clay Travis is literally doing the same segment. I don't think he stole from me. I'm just saying maybe good friends think alike, but everybody thinks of Clay Travis. But the NBA does all like, – this is the kind of thing the NBA normally gets right. Yep, and I agree. The draft itself, they completely – because, I guess, of legalities or something, They because it's not official, official, they can't. But, like, we're not idiots. Like, we know what's going to happen. Like, are you really telling me that these could fall through because of a hat? 
I don't know. I, I It has something to do with the league calendar, but it's confusing for the fans. It's weird for the players. And you're I mean, right. it, was, it was hard for the average fan to follow your event, and that's what you do not want in any walk of life if you are you know, an entertainer. No, well, that part I totally agree with. Um, and and I will say this, like I'm very critical of Adam Silver be, because I do think that he kind of ducks the big issues, but I do think he also does get the little issues right. Like like I always say this, and you know I've talked to people about this. Like I think I've said, like Doug Gottlieb's a buddy of mine. I think I've said it on his show. Is like Adam Silver usually does the hip woke things on social media, right? Like he's great. You know when an owner shoves Kyle Lowry, he's great about he th- capitalizes any chance he can get to be the guy who's like, wow, he can. <laughs> that's right? exactly right. no that's exactly right oh he's so he's so politically aware he and he, he gets it and players they don't if they if they want to protest oh wait no that's not true at all but anyways um i'm not gonna get into politics but yeah no i don't get it i have no like real understanding of why they can't do this like this and this is one too like it's one thing if you can't like officially announce Anthony Davis's trade until the new year for some for till the the fiscal new year which is July 1st. Okay, whatever. But like come on, it's draft night. Like like you said, who really cares and what does it even like really mean in the context of like you said, like the branding purposes of the NBA. Like it, it's good, it's good for pictures, it's good for press releases. Like it just it was very confusing to me. Anything else that jumped out to you? We've already somehow talked almost 40 minutes on this stuff. Uh, I don't want to keep you up too late because we're recording here late Sunday and you got to work. But uh, anything else jump out to you from uh, from the draft on Thursday? No, it, it was you know it was once again. Uh, it, it didn't matter what could happen. I'm just a, I'm going to enjoy the draft regardless of how it plays out. But honestly, all in all, there was not. I mean. There's a reaction to a lot of the picks, which you know can be boring at times. But overall, I mean, no, I think we've kind of hit on all the, I guess, things that stood out because it was a draft that again I, I found enjoyable, but there really weren't many. There really weren't many, if any, really big, you know, surprising things to react to, and there really wasn't much drama. Meaning, like, you know, the guys who walked across the stage, nobody tripped and fell, nobody had. That crazy of an outfit. It was pretty. Uh, it was a hum ho kind of draft. And again, I do think it's a draft where we're going to see at least a few superstars down the road. Yeah, that was. First of all, I will disagree on one thing. Um, the the only the drama I would say. First of all, bad suits. Uh, Darius Garland certainly. Uh, he is in the bad suit Hall of Fame. I don't think no matter what he does, I don't think I can ever forgive him for wearing I think it was like a shawl I don't even think it was a full robe it just looked like something like uh you know your grandma hard to be yeah bull bull the spider web was kind of weird uh so yeah no there were some bad bad suits but no overall I would say pretty much the same um did you feel bad there for was bull? no Lonnie Walker trying to fit a cap over his eraser head bro yeah Kobe White was the closest I guess did you feel bad for Bol Bol? I'll be honest, I really didn't. Like, it's such a like a, a non PC PC thing to say. Like Adam Silver would never say it because he's PC. But like, my whole thing is like, dude, the guy has had a reputation for four, three or four years now as a guy that doesn't like really play hard and doesn't really try. And I know he was actually pretty good at Oregon, but doesn't really play hard. It was clear for weeks that he was falling in the NBA draft. They kept saying on the broadcast, like, yeah, his camp didn't want him to come, but he wanted to be here. 
Like he I was guess also, he was also told the day before, and you don't want to come. Like you shouldn't come. Did, was and so, he did? Somebody officially told him that. Like I don't know if that was reported. Yeah, that was it, it. Was a Javoni thing that two days beforehand was like, hey, you, you, you know, you're risking it if you come. Interesting. Yeah, I just felt like, look, this guy has had a reputation that's preceded him for years. He doesn't love basketball. Yeah. Yeah. He's big of instant. But I'll tell you this, Aaron. None of that matters when I saw the video from when he was a kid telling his daddy loved him. Like, I hate I, I that shit up. Melted my heart. Oh, I didn't even see it. It was just him and his dad? Oh, I'll send it to you. It was just like, because obviously he doesn't remember his dad playing. I don't even remember his dad playing. They did like a, you know, this is bizarre as hell, but apparently the new ball at one point moved like Kansas, like the middle of nowhere. And, um, Olathe, Kansas, whatever the hell that is. Yep. And, big, uh, uh, big population of African people. Bowl Bowl was a little kid, and they were doing a little feature, and, you know, he was like, you know, I, I remember my dad, I, you know, I learned my dad uh, dunk on people and shot over people, and he was like, do you want to be like your, you know, so do you watch your dad play? And he said, yes, because I love him. Aww. And Bowl 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 said, I love you too, son. And then Bowl Bowl said, I love you too, daddy. And it was Aww. like the sweetest thing ever. He was like five years old. It was literally... Like it, it very much made it to where bowl bowl situation felt more sympathetic because it was like I don't know like you know obviously his dad's gone but yeah no I what you said about his whole like literally one person who and I'm sure you've seen this too I don't mean to get too deep and I'm one do two you know insider baseball or whatever but like Jeff Goodman continues to go out of his way to claim that bowl bowl doesn't like basketball like he's not into it he doesn't love it and I guess that's what has been a reputation that has been warranted because 30 teams passed on him in the first round because although he didn't look, there are, there are injury concerns there too with his frame. But I'll say this, if he does give a shit and does have a chip on his shoulder and he is healthy, I think he could be phenomenal. I don't mean like next level superstar, but he could definitely be a factor in the league and play well. Like Denver got a steal if he does give a shit and he stays healthy, but he also has the frame that at any point he could suffer an injury and never play again. Yeah, he um and like I will say I I, I kind of went in on is he the a whole, jerk. You can say, I feel like you would know that. I feel like you've been waiting to say is he a jerk. Bobo. Yes. He's 17, 18 years old. I don't think he's a jerk. I think he's been. I think and I will. No, he doesn't have. A, he doesn't have. A, he doesn't have a good reputation. What I'll say is, first of all, the the whole doesn't like basketball thing, and I went in pretty deep on this on the last episode. Everything that I've seen is true. So two situations. One. Uh, Pangos All-American camp two years ago, uh, literally just pulled himself out of the event midway through. Nobody knew why. You see him kind of shooting on the far basket when he's supposed to be playing. It's clear that there's no injury. He just doesn't feel like playing. Um, and then I actually went oh, up. To, shit. Yeah. Didn't he? Well, and how about this? Nike Hoop Summit, where NBA scouts are allowed. The Pangos camp, now you can have NBA scouts there, but at that time you couldn't. But Nike Hoop Summit, it's one of the few places NBA scouts are allowed to watch high school players. High school players are very aware of that. I was there this year. James Wiseman, who's going to Memphis, who has a reputation that he doesn't always play hard, that kid was diving on the floor for loose balls, playing hard, because he knew what was at stake. Like, there's NBA scouts here. This is my future. Bowl Bowl the year before, I don't want to say he was – he just went through the motions. He just didn't seem like he wanted to be there. And so I don't think he's a jerk. Um, I don't think that the best people have been around him – um, since he kind of uh, really kind of blew up as a basketball player, I remember. I'll tell this story too. Is um, 
I remember when he first got to California, I tried to email his old high school to interview the head coach. And I got like a one line uh, response from the, the coach that just said something to the effect of, uh, I don't, I don't do interviews about players that aren't in my program. And it seemed pretty clear that he didn't leave under the best of terms, but again, it might be the adult. He didn't have anything good to say. What's that? He didn't have anything good to say. Well, I don't know if it was about him or about the people around him. And so I don't think he's had the best people around him. And obviously look, maybe well, it's your, not- your tweet last night, I thought kind of really put it in perspective of this is a guy who has made some decisions over the years where people were noticing and he might not have realized it. And I, I know that's not word for word, but you said that that stuck with me because, you know, that was the kind of the notion that he's kind of always been, I mean, I've heard stories about his visits to some schools to where he just, there were some schools that weren't willing to even take a top five player in the class because he just was such a, and again, I don't know, I, without me knowing personally, I don't know what word to use, but like, he has baggage, man. Yeah, 100%. And I saw our buddy Matt Jones actually tweeted something to that effect as well. And it is funny, right? Because sometimes, and like coaches will say all the time, like, you know, you know how it is. It's more so football than basketball, but football, oh, on signing day, oh, we got all the guys we wanted and we're so happy with our class. But like, I will say this, like you talk to coaches behind the scenes and sometimes there are guys that they have to recruit because I know that they know publicly it's expected of them but that they're not all that torn up if they don't get them. And I, I'm not getting this from anybody at Kentucky. I don't have any sourcing on this. But my guess is that I, I, I'm guessing that John Calipari wasn't losing sleep when Bull Bull took Kentucky off his list. And that was a guy that probably at the time Kentucky fans were like, you know, how did we lose him to Oregon? I can't believe it. But it's like, in hindsight, Maybe that's one where publicly John Calipari had to go after him and had to recruit him because he was a top five guy. But like I said, maybe he wasn't losing very much sleep if the kid didn't end up coming to campus. If that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. You, yeah, and, and I think also what happens in that realm is that guys, coaches probably know deep down, but then they love knowing the validation. You know what I mean? Like they love knowing that I knew I didn't really need that guy because they, you know. I mean, I, I think kind of to fit with what you just said there, there's a reason some guys are superstars as far as their ranking and their, you know, their rank and their star and all that. But, like, if they end up at certain schools that, like, nobody else really thought they'd go to, like, it's not just the fact that they probably had motives to go there because of maybe there was a bad man or whatnot, but, like, the good coaches, the great coaches that really do get results and win, they don't deal with that shit. You know what I mean? Like Fair they point. just they just don't. Like Bo Bo went to Clicker Dana Altman because at the end obviously he probably was gonna be himself and other coaches from the bigger programs were gonna still recruit him, but they weren't going to bend over backwards for him and give him you know, they weren't gonna give him full clearance to be himself. They were gonna say, You're gonna even the best recruiters, the best coaches and obviously it's a it's a it's a um, you gotta be a player's coach to stay in age, but there's a line. You know what I mean? Like Bo Bo was going to come to Kentucky and John Calipari conformed to him. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it was going to be, you are going to be with us and what we do or, you know, see you later. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because in hindsight, it probably would have been best for Bo Bo to do just that, to come to Kentucky, to be in a place where maybe he was pushed a little bit maybe more. Maybe he could have stacked up. What's so, that? You know, maybe, so maybe that's not the best way to word it, but maybe he could have come there and sacked up. Yeah. Realized, i got to get my ass to work. 
No. And I mean, I think that that was kind of a theme of the weekend. Uh, like I said, everybody's a little bit of a different story. Um, but I did find it very interesting that the guys that, uh, that did get drafted were guys that generally had success. The Bull Bulls, Romeo Langford. Indiana fans get mad when you say Romeo Langford wasn't productive, but he did not live up to the hype. By the way, I will say, Jonathan Gavoni, uh, I've had good and bad moments with him. He does have a pretty good Twitter feed. You were mentioning that video. I, was, I can't find it, but what I will say, he has some really interesting information. Uh, he said, he basically confirmed what I said. Uh, great night to be an older player. Basically, he said that uh, Cam Johnson, the oldest lottery pick in a decade, he also said, as expected, tons of NCAA early entry candidates. So 45 players went undrafted that declared with eligibility, five of them under the age of 20, six played just one year of college basketball. And he says, curious how many would have tried to go back if they were allowed. That is one thing. We'll wrap up on this. And there was a lot of confusion about this. That new kind of addendum to the NCAA that you could go back to college if you went undrafted, I think it's kind of a thing with the players' union, and they want to make sure that the players, if they come back to college, aren't going to be able to leave midseason. But if they get that fixed, I do wonder if some of these guys would have gone back to college basketball. So, well, The only thing I'm leaving you with here is that you've given me trivia, and I know the answer. He is the oldest lottery pick in a decade I think there were two guys either of his age or older in 2009 one of them was Terrence Williams of Louisville oh okay a four-year senior who was 23 and did Sam Young go in the lottery Sam Young uh pit guy Cam Johnson former pit guy I don't know if Sam Young went in the lottery but Sam Young I'm sorry for being a dumbass questioning you on like I'm giving you random trivia like, no it's okay you, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't know that but I know I know T Will was uh was 23 when he was a lottery pick and it's funny that time wasn't that crazy it was still rare but you know I think about what the draft looked like then and looks like now listen I, I'll say this is I don't know this this it, it feels like the one and done rule is going to be repealed here it, it doesn't it, at first I kind of it seemed like it was a lot of talk and there wasn't much to back it up, but there are too many people saying that it's going to happen sooner rather than later. I don't know what the draft is going to look like in four or five years down the road, but I think these next couple years, as more uh, as you still have to go through the college process and there's always going to be the RJ Hamptons or guys that kind of try to circumvent college, I think, I truly believe teams are going to sit there and say, like, dude, Cam Johnson, yeah, maybe he'll only be a role player, but I know exactly what role that guy can play. P.J. Washington, Brandon, Brandon Clark's going to be a role player, but I know exactly what that guy's going to play. I think I think it's it, Thursday was a good night for college basketball. I think it's going to continue to be that way. I just think teams are tired of just taking total shots in the dark on these kids. And I'll say this, I saw the early 2020. I love it. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw the early 2020 mock drafts. And I think it was something, I think it was Gavoni who did his, and he does a good job and, you know, whatever, I'm not criticizing him, but I think it was like of the top, like maybe 20, 18, 20 picks, they were all either freshmen, there was like one or two international players, one or two, uh, one or, so there was like one or two international players, Um, Trey Jones was the only non-freshman in college next year. And I would love to see how that matches up because, 
again, there's going to be a Jarrett Culver that emerges over the course of next season or a John Morant that we're not talking about as an NBA draft pick that I guarantee is going to, there's going to be three, four, five of them. I don't know who those guys are, but I think there's going to be a bunch that emerge over next year that will, um, that will, that will, uh, that will become lottery picks, first rounders, this and that. So, uh, Nick, we have gone. I would, I, I would just wrap with what you just said. Like, I think we're going to circle back on literally your initial comments on the draft is kind of what you just said. There's like, it was a good draft for college basketball. I don't think that's going to necessarily slow down. No, I don't. And I, and I think, you know, look, there, there obviously was a premium on shooting. That's usually a skill you get better. If you do go to college, most guys aren't lights out as freshmen like Tyler Hero was, whatever. Um, and yeah, and I think that the bigger guys that have to be able to do more than just dunk the basketball from five feet, that takes longer to develop. So I think it'll be interesting to see how this draft develops. But I do think going forward, uh, look, I, I, I just think there's going to be three, four, five guys, seven guys, ten guys, whatever, that get into the first round next year that we're not talking about as first rounders right now that will be Nick I think that it is all Nick Coffee 7 to 10 Eastern 790 KRD in Louisville we survived the week uh it was fun Nick I mean we'll see if anything pops up I'll get you back by the way last thing I swear Kevin Keats on next episode you fired up or what oh I'm fired up you know I'm a big Keats guy I uh I'm happy you're having Keats on I'm happy that I was able to uh it's one of those things where, like, you know, obviously we, we make plans to do this, and I didn't even realize until we got on the line that it's been a while. So I needed my uh, I needed my ATSP fix, my <laughs> podcast fix, and uh, we definitely came through tonight. So uh, glad to be back and looking forward to the next time. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on and hours worth of content. Thank you all for listening. Please make sure, as always, subscribe to the Aerator Sports Podcast, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio. Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Make sure to send in your questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. We do have a few. Uh, I will try to answer them next episode. That is all for today. Shout out to our buddy Torrent Craig listening over in Australia. We'll be back later this week with Kevin Keats. Nick, like that one. Bye.